welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And Brenna is still not here with us, so I have brought in yet another guest of Ringer, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by Terry Menard. Hi, Terry. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I, I always love doing this podcast because, I mean, you know, you spend so much time doing horror that it's kind of fun to branch out sometimes. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And I'm pleased to say that today's film takes place on Earth, and therefore I can do a land acknowledgement. So today's film, Anything's Possible, is set in Pittsburgh, which is the traditional land of the Shawandasi Tula people. Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to paint a portrait. Pick a partner. That's so good. Can I see yours? That is great <laughs> Never shown my feelings in public. how do you know when you have a crash i have a theory first insta story is the person you're thirstiest for mine is call call zuwabi i have a huge crush what's her name kelsa i don't know what this is but i like it to pull your hair out scream it out the window for the whole world to hear kind of deal no, I'm, I'm stupid. I hate when people say I'm brave. You're transitioning so young. I just want to tell you how brave you are. It's not that brave if you're just being who you are. These are for, for, for you. Paul, M likes you. Yeah, well, I like, like you. If you don't like me, just tell me. I still want to be your friend. I didn't say that. We could live our own life or spend the rest of our life wondering what if. So, you've officially set the school on fire. Maybe we should, we should go, go on, on a date. He's only dating you for the woke points. What did you call her? exceptional daughter and what is unique about you does not make you hard to love for the first time in my life i'm actually excited about what's to come i truly feel anything's possible so terry we are talking about anything's possible this I thought was billed as a kind of trans rom-com fantasy movie and I feel like it's not entirely that, is it? No, it certainly isn't. Although you would you would be uh, appropriate to think so, probably for the first I don't know maybe thirty or forty minutes of the of the film, where it it establishes the typical rom com tropes, but then I think mm -hmm. it definitely veers into more reality in a way, and I, I I think it gets more interesting because of of that. Honestly. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested by this. So this is the feature directorial debut of one Billy Porter, who people will know from Kinky Boots on Broadway, from Pose, from making a splash on literally every red carpet ever. Mm. And it was written by Zamina Garcia Lucona. And this script was featured on The Blacklist, which I feel like Once Upon a Time had a sort of better 
cultural cachet. Like it was the best unproduced scripts and people would vie to end up on it every year. And if you did, it was kind of like, ooh, you have a good chance of actually getting made and turned into a feature. And I'm not sure that The Shine is as present anymore, but this was uh, on the list. And I think you're right. There's a lot of fantasy in the first 30 to 35 minutes. And it's not that I don't like it when the film gets a heavy dose of reality, but it feels very swift and very jarring to me because it just feels like we haven't really been living as much in that world, even though there are political elements definitely in the first part. Yeah, it's one of those things where, as I was watching it first time, because I've, I've watched this kind of almost two times now, uh, mm-hmm. and the first time, I definitely missed some of the, the cues, but there's a lot kind of tucked in here with the character, with, with Kelsa's character being, um, I don't want to be saved, I don't want to have mm-hmm. like my trans experience be part of my school experience. I want it to be sort of separate from it. So they do a little bit of subtle building to some kind of moment where you know that she's going to have to, at some point, deal with transness in school because she's Mm -hmm. been so kind of shy about it this entire time. And so I do think that it very quietly kind of builds in that direction. But um, I, I will admit, the very first time I watched it, I was like, oh, Wow, we're we're um we're definitely stepping out of the fantasy <laughs> element mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, so folks, if you have not watched Anything's Possible, it is streaming on Amazon Prime and it tells the story of Kelsa, who is played by newcomer Eva Rain, and she is a trans senior at a Pittsburgh high school. She is desperately eager to escape and go to either New York or Los Angeles for school after she finishes. And she she keeps a running series of kind of video blogs about her trans experience, and she also often equates this with her interest in zoology. So she talks a lot about uh, the way that animals are named and how it makes them distinct. And obviously, that's very evocative of a trans experience, right, where it's all about finding out who you really are, naming yourself to be your authentic self, and also thinking about like, yeah, sometimes I'm distinct from other people, but that just makes me special. So Kelsa has two best friends. She is really close friends with M, played by Courtney Carter, as well as Chris, who is played by Kelly Lamore Wilson. They're very distinct. So M is uh, kind of like a fashionista. The clothing that she wears in this movie is amazing (laughs) oh it's it's stunning and she is incredibly stunning like she just oh yeah exudes uh that kind of charisma and that kind of fashion well the fashionista trend for sure Mm -hmm. it uh she's definitely one that once she's on stage she just all eyes just go lock to her because she just she's stunning yeah and chris is a little bit different she's she's (laughs) similarly sort of strong-willed she changes her hair color about five different times throughout the film and she has a boyfriend that is like they're kind of gross with the pdas but she's a fierce friend so both m and chris are very protective of kelsa they're they're very much a trio where you get the impression that they've kind of been going through high school together and in a way maybe shielding Kelsa from having to interact with other people. Yeah, and I actually really like Chris's character once it gets a little bit further into the movie. Mm-hmm. The moment when, you know, the best friend just turns into like, you know, 
claws out, got to protect my friend. There's always a moment <laughs> yeah. that works for me. And okay. there's there's like a moment where she grabs uh, this guy that, that Kels is seeing and pulls him into the bathroom and is like, listen here, guy, when it gets down to it, you know, some men are down to it, but they're not down to it. And I just, <laughs> am I scary? Like, do you think I'm scary? Like, I just, I love, I love that sequence. So she, even though she's like kind of a one note character in mm-hmm. that regard, I, I think she brings something to it. I really liked her. Yeah, I mean, this movie isn't afraid to lean into tropes, particularly Mm -hmm. during this sort of fantasy feeling first act, and it still manages to do it reasonably well, even though scenes like this where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna tell this new boy, Mm -hmm. you better not hurt my friend or else I'll come for you. And you're like, yeah, we've seen this a million times, but I think the reason we see it a million times is because it works. Right. Yeah, it's a classic scene. It's a classic. So uh, this is a love story. So Kelsa, without really meaning to, is making a romantic connection with Kal. And he is played by Abu Kar Ali. And I'm not going to lie, I think 75% of the reason why I got immediately invested in this movie is because Kelsa and Kal have really good chemistry. Like their flirtation is spot on. Uh, they really seem interested in each other and the movie makes you want to root for them. Like you want them to get together. You want them to have a happily ever after. And then the other reason is because Ali is super adorable. Like I crushed on him this entire movie. Joe, you know, the problem is, is that when you get to be a little older and you're watching these kinds of movies, you're like, is it appropriate that I am crushing on him? And luckily, he is in his 20s. So I felt no, a lot 30, better. Terry. He's 30, Terry. Oh, he's 30 when he made this movie. Oh, I was like, oh, hey, he's pulling off a teenager really well, despite wearing horrendously awful fashion throughout this entire film. But yeah, he is age appropriate for us. So I was like, whew, okay. I was thankful because dude is adorable. And I mean, his character, you know, it's it's that kind of that trope where he's almost too perfect. He's the right amount of nerdy where oh. he can talk about like conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and be a dork. He's caring. He's he's kind of tall to the point where like and she is so short that he starts to slouch a little bit, which is, you know, mm-hmm. such a trope. He has witty comebacks. He's so freaking earnest. Like, yes. he's just, he's the perfect. He's the perfect boyfriend. He is. He's a freaking unicorn. And one of the interesting things that this film does, and and maybe this is why I struggled a little bit when we do get some more significant content, is that in the early goings on, you would expect for it to be an issue for him to be falling in love with a trans girl because Mm. as a society we are so afraid of trans people and specifically trans women and this film does go to some of those places but i feel like we're always primed whenever we see queer narratives but specifically trans narratives that it's going to have to do with will people accept me for who i truly am and one of the things I really liked about this opening act is that Cole doesn't have an issue with her at all. Like, he goes on Reddit to ask people for advice about, like, so oh. I'm crushing on this girl. And it's not an issue that she's trans. It's more I'm worried about what other people will think. And I do feel like that is a more interesting, maybe realistic issue to kind of unpack and explore. Yeah, I- I, I see that, but throughout this, we also have that sort of outside pressure from Otis, his his friend, where mm-hmm. we see them playing games. So Otis is playing games while 
Cal is on the computer helping out other lovelorn people on Reddit, mm-hmm. which is so, again, earnest and adorable <laughs> that he yeah. has to go look up what LARPing is to help give advice to someone on Reddit is just, mm-hmm. it's so sweet. But it's Otis so is like shouting, oh, that's so gay. Like he's using the gay slur as mm-hmm. like a slur. And then later on, once it gets known that Cal is, is seeing Kelsa, Cal is like, are you gay? Like, so we get that sort of slur aspect of the trans experience where everyone, Mm -hmm. and this becomes like an issue that actually kind of bothered me about it because everyone starts asking, oh, he's just gay or are you gay? Mm -hmm. And it never gets, there's never any closure to that. And that I think is one of the things that kind of bothered me, I would say about this movie is that they bring up these aspects that people probably have to deal with Mm -hmm. from outside perspectives. And yet it never gets addressed. Yeah, and and maybe we should just address the conflict in the room because we've been dancing around it. So at a certain point, it becomes very clear that Kelsa and M both have a crush on Cal. Cal ends up reciprocating those wishes with Kelsa. He kind of publicly embarrasses M, and I think that's where a lot of her feelings of animosity and betrayal stem from. You know, we've we've seen this storyline a million times where it's like two people like the same individual, Mm -hmm. and then that person has to pick, and the friendship ends up disintegrating, or there's a struggle to kind of reconcile because it's like, oh, well, you picked a boy over me. And we very much get that. But of course, we have a complicated bit where M and Otis end up joining forces after an altercation where M fights with Kelsa in a change room and there's an accident and M ends up breaking a finger. And then Otis and M fabricate this story, which has to do with like trans panic in Mm -hmm. change rooms about like, this isn't a real woman. She should have to go and change in a gender neutral bathroom because I don't feel safe anymore. And it's not that it comes out of nowhere, but it's so realistic. Like it's so akin to the experiences that we see trans people having to go through every day. Like, this BS debate that I can't believe we're still having in this day and age. And the film really just introduces it strongly. Like this is where the conflict is coming from is all of a sudden people are challenging the legitimacy and the authenticity of who Kelsa is. And it's her former best friend and calls former best friend. And I just like, I was watching this with Brian, my husband, and I just turned to him and I said, well, these characters cannot be redeemed now. So if this movie is going to go there, I can't buy into anything it's going to do. Absolutely. Uh, I had the same the same thought. And they kind of lean in, the story kind of leans into it a bit in the lead up to this moment where uh, Otis sees M walking, walking out and kind of hears a little bit about what's going on. And they're exchanging mm-hmm. glances. I thought for a moment that maybe they were going to start hooking up and right. that was going to be a thing. Yeah. And then at the at the party, it's so insidious when Otis comes over to her and he says, I'm pretty liberal and everything, but it sounds to me like you were assaulted in a space meant for women only. And then that becomes um, a parroted mm-hmm. point where she's talking to the principal and she says, quote unquote, her socialized male energy. And I'm just like, wow, we just like took a hard yep. turn in this narrative. Mm-hmm. And you're right that we don't get any kind of catharsis where Kelsa really gets to throw this back in anybody's face. And Cole never says, 
it's not gay to be with a woman. Yep. And it's a little frustrating that we don't put a pin in it. But I also feel like this film, when this conflict gets introduced, like the film completely changes. All of a sudden, it becomes really realistic. Like suddenly Kelsa is fighting with her mom, Celine, who is played by the always iconic Renee Elise Goldsbury. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But like her mom freaks out when she finds out that she's been talking about trans issues on the internet because she's afraid it's going to compromise her future education. Suddenly, all of the relationships in the film are compromised and interrogated and the film really never gets fully back to that fantasy moment like kelsa and Carl end up spending a great summer together and we see it's very like romantic they ultimately don't do a long distance relationship they break up amicably which i thought was really risky and daring for a romantic comedy but also em and otis are never redeemed like this movie is not interested in putting a fake pin in anything to make us feel happy and satisfied and that's uncomfortable it is at re-watching this sort of uh because i rewatched about the last act in prep for for this because it had been a week since i'd seen it mm-hmm. and there is that moment and again i do not think she's redeemed herself but there is the moment where uh the two families m and her mom and kelsa and her mom are talking with the principal and mm-hmm. It becomes like this this issue where the parents are yelling, and meanwhile, M is just like realizing how much she messed up, and she yeah. apologizes and just sort of storms out. But that is not that is not enough. That's it's not mm-hmm. enough to like redeem her character. It's like, a, yeah. oh, are you trying to say that her character is redeemed? And so that was yeah. that was my one issue with that that aspect. And the notice just sort of vanishes until the dance number, which we'll get to. I have I want to talk about that dance number for a moment, but. <laughs> But I, I guess my problem with the constant use of, of calling Call gay because he is dating Kelsa, there's mm-hmm. a moment where he approaches it with his with his parents, and his dad is like, "Oh, he's just gay." Yeah, and I'm like, "No, this no. is a good this is a good moment for instead of Call storming off to mm-hmm. sit down and, and even even if he's shouting, she's a woman, just something because I don't feel right. like you introduce these slurs, you introduce this topic. But then if you're a person that's not dealt with this or is not read up mm-hmm. on this issue and you're watching this for the first time, this is not going to leave you with any kind of like, oh, you know, moment of uh, validation or moment of realization. It's just mm-hmm. it, it nothing never gets addressed. And I think that is the one aspect that I think this movie fails on. Yeah, it's it's a teachable moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like. The sad reality is, is that we're still in a state where a lot of people think that they have never interacted with a trans person. Yep. They may have certain outdated or preconceived notions based on what they're hearing on the news or in media. Like, we're still at a stage where we need to be educating people who aren't engaged or immersed in the queer community that these are the proper terms. This is how you talk about it. This is what you do and don't say. Like, we're still in that moment. And you're right, this could have been an opportunity for the film to say, you know what, we're debuting on Amazon Prime. This is a highly accessible film that people can just throw on on a Friday night. So we need to make it very clear when we say, oh, well, you're just gay. That implies that Paul is having a relationship with a member of the same sex. That is not who Kelsa is. I kept waiting for them to say queer, and they never say queer. No, no, they never do. And I don't know if it's because queer is 
like I always associate it with political activism. Like it's one of the reasons why I prefer to use it. And I wonder if the film just felt like, oh, there's too much baggage. We would have to unpack too much if we introduced it. People know what gay means. And as a result, we can do that. The father, like Carl's father is a ridiculous figure throughout this (laughs) entire movie. Like he's, he's just a joke machine. We're meant to laugh at him. And I think the film believes that we can give him that joke and not address it because we've got a really good emotional moment where Carl's mother, who you would think would be very upset because he's from a Muslim family. She wants great things for her son. She wants her to go away to a four-year college and become rich and and well-off. And it feels like the emotional payoff for this character, for this arc, is, well, she accepts him. And she says... You know, she calls Kelsa she, mm-hmm. and then she proceeds to say, well, if she dumped you and she doesn't want to be with you, then she's an idiot. That's her loss. And you're like, okay, again, we're hitting a very familiar YA beat. And yet, because we didn't address that elephant to the room with Call's father, it doesn't quite work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I will say that I kind of going on the, this lens, I... I did appreciate that the that the film took time to both deal with Kelsa's feelings of her betrayal with this and also calm. Mm-hmm. I did like that it was a two-sided issue in terms mm-hmm. of exploring both of them and cuz typically in a romantic comedy, you know, when there's the the breakup moment, which always happens in a romantic comedy where oh, sure. you yeah. know, two people mm-hmm. get together, they break up, they get back together. And here we have well first of all we have that that turning point which i thought was so much more stronger cuz okay i don't like romantic comedies very often because <laughs> okay. i find them i find them very predictable to the point mm-hmm. where it's like when i start the movie i was like okay what's going to be that moment that right. that causes them to fall apart and i didn't see it coming in this film which is something that as as a person that studies film i appreciated that right. it was actually a a real big issue not only the fact that her life gets turned upside down at school because of M, but also she's spent this entire time talking about how she doesn't want to be protected, how she wants to keep her trans thing separate from school until she can move Mm -hmm. out and be somewhere where she's just herself and she's just Kelsa. And meanwhile, we have call that wants to help. We have her friends that want to help and they're not really listening to her. Mm -hmm. And so when the video goes viral on, on Reddit that he thinks he's trying to help, it's like, I get why I get why they break up at that moment. And it was a moment that like, Mm -hmm. I just, it it really worked for me for that moment. And then I liked that we spent the, the third act kind of exploring both of them and understand, getting them to understand their feelings, their friends' feelings and what they actually want from life. And I, it it Mm -hmm. felt more mature in that regard than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, It was surprising because I, you know, we're introduced Kelsa is our our main focal point, right? Mm-hmm. Like it initially seems it's going to be entirely her story. It's filtered through her gaze, her lens. And then we meet Call, and we do start to divide our time equally between the two of them. But I'll confess, I'm still so not used to seeing trans leads that I I got a little frustrated. As much as I okay. love Call and I think this actor is eye candy for days part of me thought okay so we are doing a romantic comedy and these two are our co-leads but i was hungry for a trans lead like i i really just wanted a trans narrative and what we end up getting is 50 percent and that made me a little sad because as i said earlier we're just not there with this kind of storytelling 
I was a little frustrated that we had to share the spotlight between these two narratives. And especially when we do introduce the fact that Call is from a Muslim family and there's going to be certain kind of cultural experiences that he's bringing to the table but we don't really ever explore any of that like it feels like it's lobbed into the narrative and then we sort of retreat as quickly as possible and i thought it was a bit of a missed opportunity if we're going to divide the stories between these two characters like talk about kelsa's trans experience and talk about call's muslim experience yeah i mean that's a fair point absolutely i I did like that his brother sort of like helps him on a bit mm-hmm. in that regard. But you're right. We don't get to see a whole lot of the family other than dinner sequences where yeah. it's all about you're going to a four-year college. You're going to, you know, pursue some kind of something that's going to make money and get you rich is basically right. what the parents want. A hundred percent. So there, there, is, there isn't a whole lot there that uh, unfortunately that gets explored. I, I do think that. I don't know if you start adding more stuff into it, the the pacing gets a little long and right. it might get issues, but you know, you're it's, it's a, it's a very valid point for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned the dance sequence. Okay. This movie ends in a sort of tried and true fashion. We either get outtakes or we get a dance sequence in a lot of YA movies. I'm interested. Were you able to distance yourself from the narrative no okay (laughs) (laughs) i was like i'm pretty sure i know where you're going with this (laughs) i was so i was so upset with this dance sequence maybe if it was like you know after the credits maybe Mm -hmm. if it was like some kind of you know a little bit of detachment from the story maybe i think oh this is kind of cute but Mm -hmm. no i hated and i (laughs) I hated Uh M and I hated Otis by the end of this. And yet here we have the three of them stalking through the halls as if nothing has happened. Mm -hmm. Otis is is there dancing next to call. I'm like, okay, I get you're trying to be cute and and put this little cute bow on things. But these characters in my eyes are irredeemable for what they did. Mm -hmm. And yet here we are to just like, oh, everything's happy and, and fancy. And we're back in that fantasy realm. And I just, oh, Joe, it bothered me so much. Yeah, I I think it's especially difficult because, I mean, like, on one hand, it's very obviously not a part of the narrative. Like, the credits begin, and then they start to dance. But we haven't seen M or Otis much in, like, the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie. Like, we, we saw M get her sort of redeemable moment. Otis never even gets that. He's just off screen after the fight with Carl. After the fight, yeah. So to see them, yeah, suddenly back and everybody's having a good time. And we're just like, hey, remember the fantasy? We're back. We're doing a dance number. And you're just like, oh. Remember but... when Otis called Kelsa mentally ill? Oh, like that. Oh, I mm. honestly, I, I just started hissing. at Me too. M and Otis, I was like, no, <clears throat> no, you can't. I hate you. I hate you so much. Violence is never the answer, but I really wanted Kel to just punch his lights out. I was very happy when he did when he did punch him. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting, right? I almost felt like Billy Porter shot that sequence like a West Side Story kind of like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because we're, we're following people through the halls and like everybody is watching this confrontation first between Kelsa and Carl as they're like sort of going from room to room, like from the painting room into the library. And we're, we're trying to do comedy with the librarian shushing them and people watching them. And I was just like, ooh, tonally, this is a little bit off. But I did think it was kind of funny that, yeah, we're doing a, a kind of West Side story, like 
two different camps fighting out on the basketball court kind of deal. <laughs> but yeah, but that's the last time we see him, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Until the dance. And it's just like, no, no, get out of here. You don't deserve you do not deserve to be in this dance. Well, I wonder, because we talked at a couple of different points in this episode about rocky transitions do you feel like this is a script issue do you think that this is kind of like a narrative tone issue uh i was thinking about that because i do think the script is a little rough Mm -hmm. um around the edges i think so too um i think the way that some of the things are shot i don't know if it was written in the script or not but it for instance the fight scene where Mm -hmm. you know it's this very serious moment and then they start saying oh my hair not the hair not the hair yeah and it's it's a tonal moment where i'm like okay what are we doing here because this is some serious stuff and are you just trying to lighten lighten it for the sake that we're a romantic comedy or what is going on here because Mm -hmm. you are kind of in a way sort of reducing the actual drama to a joke about pulling people's hair yeah and and not even drama like trauma trauma absolutely yeah the language that we are using like Emin specifically Otis, Otis way more so than mm-hmm. any other character. It is the kind of language that I block and mute people regularly oh, on Twitter. Absolutely. For. Like it's the worst that people can say to a member of the trans community. And I was just like, you are making this character impossible, like so darkly villainous. And then, yeah, we're really undercutting that when this should be our moment of catharsis. We want to see this character get punched in the face and instead we're getting hair pulling jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a trend that continues throughout this where there are moments of of intense drama or trauma that are kind of undercut by a joke. And I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the intent is to try to keep it light because it is a PG-13 movie that is a romantic right. comedy. But yeah. I don't know. I don't think you can talk about these issues and then turn around and make a joke in the mm-hmm. same scene. Especially not in this moment, right? Like mm-hmm. if we if we weren't pulling back legitimate rights from trans people in multiple states like i'm sorry i'm just not in a jokey mood when we're talking about transphobia yeah you can't lighten the mood yeah same i yeah (laughs) it's just weird right because you can feel this film trying to balance both of those needs right it wants to be a charming romantic ya coming of age kind of love story and i think in some regards it's really doing that well but it also wants to be realistic and seriously address some of these concerns that the trans community is facing but sometimes when those two collide it just it really is a hard marriage and it doesn't fully work yeah i I also kind of wonder what the critique would be if it were just a fairy tale, you Mm -hmm. know, just sort of like a fantasy, because we get that an awful lot. There's a lot of times where we get um, a show or something that, you know, takes out homophobia in it. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, this isn't realistic. Heartstopper. Yeah. Yeah. And on on one hand, I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. But on the other hand, I'm like, can't we just let... (laughs) Where people have love without there being trauma associated with it. Yes. And so I, I do think that that this story tries to bridge those two gaps of being mm-hmm. the sort of like fairy tale heart stopper romance, but then also sort of adding in this other layer of reality. And mm-hmm. I I'm not hundred percent sure what the what the right answer is, because I don't want it to be trauma 
you know, this like we're watching right. just a traumatic story of of dealing with being trans in high school. But I also I love that there is like this this fantasy aspect. But is it would it have been too much? I I don't know what the answer is. I I think that they mm. tried to force the two together in a way, and unfortunately, when you do that, there's going to be moments like the fight sequence that just sort of jumps out at you. Yeah, yeah. I can't deny that I wasn't really impressed with the film for saying, okay, these people are legitimately awful. Like, there is no yeah. redeeming M and Otis. We're not even going to try. And and even the fact that we say, at the end of the day, Kelsa and Carl are not going to try to make a go of it. They had an amazing relationship. They love each other deeply. And then they move on. Like, I love that because oh, we I never love that see too. that stuff. No. And yet, I can't deny that I found it really difficult to reconcile with the harsh realities in this film because I really loved those opening sort of like 30 to 40 minutes. Mm. And I would have been so happy to have just had the conflict being, oh, M becomes a bit of a B word and then she and Kelsa have to make up. But like, we're not doing gender neutral bathrooms and we're not dropping transphobia. Like I would have loved to have just had a kind of simpler trans joy fantasy movie i would have loved that yeah it's harsh right i mean i i admire this film i think it's messy and i think it is trying to do two things and as a result doesn't do either one of them justice but i'm happy that the effort was made because i would love for this to be a noble failure the first of many of its kind I would also like there to be a sequel. Like, why? Right? Why don't we? Why don't we continue this? Like Netflix does with all of their, you know, mm-hmm. romantic comedy movies. Let's make a sequel to this. I want to see her life in college. I want to see maybe her and Call get back together. Like, I, w- I want to see that. I want to see what what happens next with the story. Yeah, I would love to like jump back into this when they are on the cusp of graduating, and then they have to start like figuring out what their careers. But they're back in the same city, and all of a sudden, it's like, huh. You again. Those feelings are still there. That's what I want to see. Sounds good. Sounds delightful. I would love Get on that, Amazon. (laughs) Amazon, what else are you doing? Come on. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I think we can wrap up our discussion of anything's possible there. Uh, If we have any trans listeners, I would love to know if your experience of this film was completely different. Because obviously, we're too cis white gays talking about a trans romantic comedy so there's probably things that we missed there's probably things that didn't click with us that maybe did so yeah if you have a different experience with anything's possible we would love to hear from you terry if they wanted to speak directly to you how would they get in touch uh you could find me on twitter at gaily dreadful and i would love to hear um, cause I, I did try to go look for some reviews from, you know, trans writers and I granted, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of time to go look, but I couldn't really find anything that just jumped out at me. So I would love to hear what a trans person thought about this narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about representation. It would be great if we could see a little bit more of that in real life from the critic side of this, but, uh, yeah, it's not always easy to find. No. Well, uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, I am at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. 
If you want to reach the show, you can use the hashtag HKHSPod. If you've got something a little bit longer to say, like, hey, maybe you're reading along for this month's Banned Book Club, which is coming up (gasps) next week. So if you've been reading The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie, I'm sure that Brenna would love to hear your thoughts on that troubled author and amusing satire. And you can reach us via email at hkhspod at gmail.com. Terry, it was a delight and a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for filling in. Thank you. Always, always, always a joy coming back. (laughs) Well, until the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian next week, I will see you on both the screen and the page. And that's a goodbye from us. All right. Well, until Band Book Club next week, uh, we can cross out any... No, that's my other show.